If you are a parent or an educator, you're not going to want to miss today's Wellness Wednesday episode of the Powerful Whispers podcast. Listen in as my guest talks about how to embrace a lifestyle that both empowers your mind and your body. Paula Toby is a former educator turned life and health coach who shares her incredible journey from the classroom to the forefront of holistic wellness. Discover how addressing diet can significantly impact ADHD and autism and also overall gut health, which of course we all need to be concerned about. With Paula's expertise, we're going to unveil five pillars of wellness that every family needs to thrive. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Wellness Wednesday of the Powerful Whispers podcast. I am so excited to have with me today Paula Toby, who I've just recently gotten to know, and I'm so excited to hear all about her insight into the wonderful world of wellness. So thank you, Paula, for being here today. Thank you so much for having me, Krista. I'm excited to all that is to come on this conversation and, and all, see where it goes. I'm excited. Amen. <laughs> like, yes. I am excited to learn so much more about you and and your business also, which your fascinating background. So let's dive in and learn a little bit more about yourself. So I am a former teacher, a certified elementary, and I started in Massachusetts. That's where I grew up. Uh, that's where I'm from, Cape Cod, Massachusetts. And my husband was in the military. That moved us south. And so my teaching career started in Louisiana. We were stationed at Fort Polk. He was a military guy. Then after he got out, we moved over to Houston where the jobs were. So we have stayed south. We go home to visit family every summer. Yeah, it's been a great life. But I started out wanting to teach because I knew it would give me the opportunity to go see family in the summers, you know, so my kids could know know their cousins and all that. And then this was a great fit. Life coaching was how it started. I got life coached and I was like, wait a minute, this is really cool. I can do this. So then I did the program myself and then I added on health coaching because I had started working with clients as a parent coach. Being from the teaching environment, the the school world, I had people in mind that I could tell really kind of needed assistance. And so I kind of went to them first as clients offering to take them on for free when I was in school and when I was learning. And they led me to a lot of research that I ended up having to do. What I found was those kids, and I called them tricky kids because sometimes they had diagnoses from school and sometimes they were so early on in the process, they weren't even diagnosed yet. But we could tell that there was probably going to be a diagnosis to come. But either way, my job was kind of also like an advocate for parents. And so we would sometimes go to art meetings together or I would, you know, encourage them with tips and things that I learned by teaching. It was going really well, but I noticed specifically with a lot of the kids with behavior issues like ADHD or autism or things like that. And not that it's only behavior because it's not, but behavior meaning from the parent's perspective, they had a challenging time with their kid at home. They would say, you know, I don't understand why my kid is doing so well in school for you, but then I come, you know, they come home and and I can't get them to listen and follow directions. What is so magical? What are you doing? And so often they would ask, help. 
And so I was giving them, whether it was in parent-teacher conferences or after school or whatever, I was giving them tips and stuff. And I realized there's something to this. I should really think about going in this direction. So that's what I did when I did research and when I learned things. I also, I majored in, in special education in college. So I didn't know a lot of the connections and stuff. But when I did the research, I learned that a lot of what was happening was diet related. Yeah. And that it was the way the kids were eating or what they were eating was causing some of the root problem issues that then later led to behavior or pickiness or anything like that. Meanwhile, I was going through my own health challenges. And I grew up, like I said, military. My dad was in the military, so I grew up in the military and then married military. But in the military, we were exposed to different things. And it's a different lifestyle. Let's just put it that way. And you shop at the commissaries that they provide that are there. The quality of the food wasn't the best. And so essentially we were eating what the government gave us. And you know what I mean? And it just wasn't the best stuff. And I was diagnosed very late in high school as a 10th grader with a learning disability under the dyslexia umbrella called dyscalculia. And it's formally a math disability. Interesting. It's quite simply called the inability to solve simple equations. Wow. So if you give me a long division problem, I cannot do it unless I can write it down. Like I couldn't do it in my head at all. Okay. I just, I couldn't even remember the numbers, let alone what order and all the things. So it was just a, a big challenge for me. So I had a heart for helping those kids because I understood completely what it was like. So that was why I majored in it in, in college. I started having food sensitivity issues and upon my own research learned that some of the correlations between diet and abilities to perform intellectually were related. In other words, AKA gut health and gut brain connection. After a lot of time and effort and like I said, learning and research, I just started realizing that I had a responsibility to share with people what it is that I was learning. Because as you and I discussed a little earlier, the government isn't great about telling us what really, you know, what we're eating and what the quality does and, you know, all of that stuff. They just want us to buy their food. <laughs> I've learned that that's not always the best thing for people. It's not always the healthiest or it's not always it's cheap to produce and it will last a long time on the shelves, but that's not necessarily a good thing for our bodies. So long story short, I learned a ton. At that point, I knew I had a responsibility to start helping people learn new ways. And so I added health coaching onto my life coaching. And often I would do both and find that families really kind of needed both things. And so I consider myself a life and health coach, but how we work transformationally is getting to the root of the problem. So what I do with one-on-one -on -one clients is help them figure out what sensitivities might be starting or at the root of this issue, which was what mine was. So a lot of times it's either dairy yeah. or it's wheat specifically gluten. And sometimes it's other random things like corn or oats or coffee or things like that that feel or seem random. A lot of times those can be an issue for people. 
What I do with my clients is use a simple blood test that, you know, you take a, a pinprick of your finger and you draw the blood and you place it on a card and then you mail it off. And then the results are emailed to you and you can tell how reactive the blood is to that ingredient. And the reason why that is so helpful is because then if you were to el eliminate those items from your diet, your gut has a chance to start healing. There may be things that you're eating that you're totally unaware of that are causing some of these issues to crop up. And specifically, what it is, is inflammation. And so when the gut gets inflamed, it doesn't work properly. And then essentially, from there, the connection between our gut and our brain is affected and we don't think clearly. We don't have the same energy. Learning all of this stuff became definitely my mission after a while. Well, you've said a lot there and I want to circle back because you were talking about you've worked with students that with autism mm -hmm. and ADHD and mm -hmm. also allergies. I mean, you can't even go a day without hearing those mm -hmm. words in the media, the news. They're, they're affecting so many children. Mm -hmm many children with any of these three are going to be on medication, mm -hmm. which of course complicates things, especially with the gut, right? right? I believe any medication you have just is going to affect yeah. your gut yep. microbiome and yep. that can mess up a whole bunch of things. But let's kind of break yes. things down. I would love to first talk about autism, which seems, mm -hmm. I can't remember, is it like one in 32 students now is diagnosed with autism? Yeah, and high. I feel like that number yeah. is just going to continue to skyrocket. And there's, there's so many unknowns as to why autism mm -hmm. has mm -hmm. occurred and why it's increasing so much right now. But how are you helping some of the students mm -hmm. to combat autism or help them decrease their symptoms or just help them to be better? Mm -hmm. Why don't you dig in to a little bit about what you Sure. Really what it would be is working with the parents to help, one, educate them and teach them about the correlations and about the, the overlap and all of that. And then two, talking about what they are currently eating. A lot of autistic people, and whether they're an adult or a child, it doesn't matter. They have very sensitive reflexes as far as eating. And they're textural and there are certain things that make them hypersensitive. Those are factors that play into what then the person decides they can and cannot eat. Often it tends to be foods that we think of for kids, right? Like the chicken nuggets and the hot dogs and the things that are easily palpable for hypersensitive system. They tend to crave the things that their body shouldn't be eating. And so it's kind of like a conglomeration of all of it, really. And then they, between the cravings and then the toleration, and then just the fact that the food itself has been modified and changed and sugared, you know, from its original form so much that it can also become addictive. And so you put all of those elements together chances are somewhere you're going to be able to find a pattern or a problem. What I would do is help them kind of navigate that and just educate a lot of what it is. And I will share with everyone my go-to. And when I wrote my book, I used it as the main reference point and resource. And you may have heard of it. The I know you have, but the GAPS diet has been around for a long time. But what it comes from is the gut and psychology syndrome. And it literally explains 100% clear as day the correlations between an unhealthy gut and an unhealthy mind or brain and how you can naturally treat 
symptoms of autism and dyslexia and ADD and ADHD, even down to depression and schizophrenia with a specific GAPS diet. And so they teach you to take out all of these problematic foods, low sugar, low carbs, all that stuff, and eat very specific foods that help that microbiome to thrive and grow and and become healthier. And then these symptoms tend to come down and decrease and lower. And sooner or later, the gut is healed, the brain is healed. And so the book talks about the correlation. Once I read it, it literally was a game, life game changer for me. So I want to talk a little bit more about this. I want to kind of start with the psychology mm-hmm. and like, okay, so even like, mm-hmm. let's just think of an adult, an adult who does not have any issues. And if they're Anything. wanting mm-hmm. to follow a diet, it's like, oh, I want to be healthier, maybe decreasing you know, inflammation or just overall health. It is still hard to follow a diet right? because there's the, I mean, food is in our face, commercials mm-hmm. driving down the street. I mean, you see food and your mind is like, I really want a piece of chocolate cake right now. Whatever the case may be. Right. Even for adults, it's hard to be steadfast. And yes, we can have cheat days, but it's hard to maintain a Mm -hmm. lifestyle change. Yeah. And even more hard, harder, I should say, for children, especially children who have diagnosed Mm -hmm. issues with autism, ADHD, where Mm -hmm. there's, where their brain has been used to get hijacked. There you go. I like, I like that a lot. I was also thinking like they're used to getting those foods, which kind of yeah. can act like a drug, especially like sugar can act like a drug and they, they, yes. they want those things and yes. crave it. Have you found some helpful ways for these students or, yes. you know, those especially under the age of 18 that can maintain a mm-hmm. diet that like the parents going to see a change. Is there a way for those kids mm. to maintain this diet that's going to help them stay healthy and whole and healed? That's a great question. And I will be honest, I had a client and it was actually a family that I worked with. It was a big struggle. There were definitely times when they were following the plan and they were doing what they needed to do and things would go well. And then it started to go downhill. And I would lean in and ask questions and offer suggestions or whatever. And that's when the client, meaning the parent, would pull away and get busier and, okay, well, we can't talk this week. And it was kind of obvious that that was what was going on. And so I knew that it was a struggle for them as a family because the kids didn't love it and they would complain. And it gets frustrating when, as the parent, you're essentially being the the mean bad guy saying, no, they told you, you can't have this. It's not good for you, but I want, you know, for kids, the most important thing for them in the world is to fit in. And so if they're already eating differently or having to do things differently, that's, that's challenging on their emotional spirit. It's challenging. So it can be difficult. That said, What I try to do is empower clients to talk about the benefits and talk about how good you feel and and acknowledge what's going on inside. And so be very aware of how you're feeling when you're eating better or worse and literally have a food diary, but talk about the emotions, talk about how you're feeling. If you have headaches, if you have upset stomach, like literally document all of that stuff in addition to mood and all of that, because it can be a significant visual reminder 
of what food does to the body. Absolutely. And you can see in print, okay, this is a good day or this is a Absolutely. bad day or, you know, whatever. Is there a food or a recipe that you found that the kids would be like, this is fun? And it's like a new item that the family never thought of incorporating and yet it's healthy. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have found a smoothie recipe that almost all kids love and it's called the peanut butter butterfinger. And it sounds like the candy bar and believe it or not, it tastes amazingly like the candy bar. Like it's a butterfinger. I don't know how else to describe it, but it literally contains things, obviously peanut butter, but like spinach and pear is the fruit that's used because it's super sweet. Together, I mean, it just, it tastes amazing. I have never had a kid that doesn't like it. Now, obviously, if there's a peanut allergy, then you'd have to switch it out and, you know, do it a little bit differently. But that recipe is really well known for being healthy, but delicious and kids love it. And then another one would be like the green monster or something like that. And that's essentially a green smoothie, but you give it a fun name like Shrek or something and they'll eat it. You know, or they're more likely to eat it or drink it. So When you were talking about smoothies, I was reminded of something that I had tried with my boys when they were living at home, and it was a shamrock shake. So I used mint leaves and dates, and I think it was coconut milk, if I can remember right. It tasted Mm -hmm. amazing. And I can't even remember if there's bananas. It's been been too long. I need to incorporate that again because I love to grow fresh mint. Those are popular. And obviously when we make it at home ourselves and we can put the better ingredients in them, your taste buds begin to adapt. And over a period of time, if you have enough of them, your brain will start to like them and crave them. And if you were to have, let's say, the McDonald's shamrock shake, it wouldn't taste good anymore because over time, your body adapts and especially if it's getting good results from the way that you feel after you have it, the brain knows that. And so it starts to take on and change and develop over time. And that's how we can get rid of poor habits is by just incorporating better ones and replacing. And I noticed that you talk about this a lot, you know, food swap outs. I love talking about food swap outs. As a matter of fact, this last Friday on social media, I did a bunch of them and there were quite a few people that are like, oh my gosh, I've got to try that. So it's fun to offer those kinds of recipe ideas for people just swapping out this for that because it, it can go a long way. I really believe that. Let's move on to ADHD because that's also yeah just rampant in the schools these days. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about perhaps mm-hmm. client that you've helped or some tips and tricks on how you've helped some students decrease <laughs> decrease their symptoms of ADHD? Sure. Decrease symptoms. Yeah. So again, it's it's kind of bringing awareness and making them aware that, you know, food plays a huge role. But then we talk about simple things like bedtime, how much sleep they get, if they're drinking water rather than, let's say, Gatorade or something. Now, Gatorade in itself seems like it's not bad for kids. But Gatorade, the actual only brand, like the the first kind that was created, was very, very sweet and sugared, had a lot of sugar. Now, it also had electrolytes and potassium and, and salt in it. Like, that's why it was made to help balance athletes. However, today, luckily, we have some that are low sugar or no sugar or substitute sugar like stevia or something like that. So I always encourage parents to make those kinds of swap outs. But really, as far as 
tips and tricks for ADHD. A lot of times I have found that talking with the kid is the best place to start. Now, where it's tricky is if they're really young. For a kid to be diagnosed really young is less common. Usually you need quite a few years. When I was in Louisiana, I taught a special ed preschool and I had a little guy and he was the most severe ADHD I've ever seen in my entire life. Because when his medicine, he would come in as an angel. I mean, sweetest, cutest little face and did everything right. By 11, he started turning into a wolf. And I am not kidding you. He took on this like wolf personality and he'd run on all fours. And I mean, it was very, very odd, very crazy. And I remember having to bring the parents and have a conference and say, please, can we get him his medicine changed. He needs more longer. He needs a different extended release medicine or something because it's wearing off and I can't wow. deal with the wolf boy. <laughs> like I need help. And they were really against it. They didn't want to mess with anything. And I was like, okay, but you have to understand that this is significantly impacting his learning and he is disrupting and there, there are major consequences. And I don't want this little boy to suffer. And I kind of had to paint the picture for them long-term. What happens if you do nothing? Well, he might not graduate. Oh boy, they did not like hearing that. But I had to literally have them think differently, right? Because they were just thinking about right now. They weren't thinking long-term. And so I had to ask those hard questions. And luckily, because I had that background from teaching, when I began coaching, it was easier for me to continue doing that because I had that background and knowledge and, and all of that. So it wasn't hard for me to then ask those hard questions, but often it does come down to conversation. And if the child is a little older, it's much easier to have that with them. But again, just ask, how do you feel best? Do you feel best when? And then describe something and you know give a scenario. And they, they can often reflect and be like, you know, I do. Or they will shut down and not be ready to talk about it and essentially shut off, throw a fit, whatever. And then it means that you have to follow up and, and go back another time and, and keep working at it because it really can, it can be a challenge. It can be a really big, for families, it can be, can be really difficult. There's no easy fix, right? It's a process. And yeah, the parents yeah. definitely are so yeah. integral to helping their children succeed and to heal and have to be yeah. willing to, to stick with it. Have to be willing, yes. And a lot of it is just that upfront education, almost convincing them yeah. that there's a correlation and that everything is related to everything else. With modern medicine, when we go to the doctor and we say we have knee pain, but we're there because we're having, let's say, IBS issues, they're going to refer you to a knee specialist. They're not going to, in that office, figure out, okay, well, if you're having IBS, and, you know, that's inflammation, and maybe your knee is inflamed. Yeah, and, you know, right. They don't do it like that. That's not how they work. Another reason why I'm a firm believer in you know, holistic medicine is to, you know, getting to the root of the problem and figuring out what could be the component tying all Absolutely. the pieces together. Often, unfortunately, that does look like going outside of traditional medicine to holistic or to, you know, even chiropractic care is often better than, you know, just going yeah. around and around and around. But 
truthfully, people who need insurance to cover costs kind of get stuck in in that and and they have to go somewhere that takes insurance and you know pay what they can afford and so often it does mean that they go that route and so we just work around that the very very best we can i've been pleasantly surprised that in the last few years there are more medical doctors that are embracing holistic medicine and maybe they just have like one toe in the water, but at least it's giving mm-hmm. a nod to the body is all connected. Everything you put on yeah. your body, in your body can affect many different parts of your body. And yes, your knee pain could be due to inflammation in your gut, for example. So I'm happy to see right. there's been some change, right. a long ways to go Agreed. by Yeah. For many doctors, but things have definitely changed. Right. It's better. It's better. Yeah. And I do think that truthfully, because of people getting educated on their own and sharing, I really believe that that has a lot to do with why. And a prime example, this book that I was talking about, The Gut and Psychology Syndrome by Natasha Campbell McBride, she wrote that book in 2010. I discovered my food sensitivities in the end of 2009. So essentially it was 2010. I think I got this book in either 2011 or 2012. And I know that because my mother's brother was diagnosed as an adult as autistic. Wow. He grew up in the 40s and 50s and 60s as, you know, the child teenager adult. And back then, they had horrible labels, and I'm not even going to say what it was that they called him because that's truthfully what they did, but it was not right. language that we use today. Essentially, developmentally delayed. That's the nicest way to put it, but that's not how he was labeled. As a 56-year-old adult, he was later identified as, oh, this really is what he is. It's actually autistic. It's not, you know, whatever. His situation was such that they couldn't tell if he was born that way or an accident caused it because my family was involved in a, in a horrible automobile accident. And this was before seatbelts were standard. And he actually sustained a lot of damage to his brain. And it, it is possible that some of that was related to that, or he could have had some of this stuff. But what I learned after reading this book is that very likely, more likely genetically, related gut health issues because their father had a lot of issues that went undiagnosed and went unaccounted for. And he lived with diabetes and all of these other issues that, you know, just kind of got swept away or talked about, but not dealt with. And then my mother and my uncle both had issues, didn't talk about it, didn't address it. And unfortunately, both of them passed of different cancers related to the gut. Later, we found out my dad had cancer in colon cancer, which is more normal. But again, a gut health related. So I had three direct family members. And at that point, I knew I could be next. And if I don't stay with my lifestyle for the rest of my life, I will, this will happen to me because it is absolutely hereditary and it makes sense if you think about it. And the mother passes along in the womb all the things to the unborn fetus. Like, is this is a real thing. And the more we learn and the more we educate ourselves, but the more common yeah. sense we attach to it, 
honestly, the better yeah, we live. I 100% agree with you there. And truly, I mean, I, I'm a dietitian. I don't know if I was sleeping in mm. class or if whatever the reason, it, it did not sink into my brain how incredibly important it is with all the food that we eat when we are pregnant and how it can affect our children for mm. their entire lives. So mm. I ate fairly well, yep. but I could have done better. And I wish I would have paid more attention mm -hmm. in those classes, or maybe the knowledge wasn't there, or I don't know what the reason was. I think both the knowledge was not there, but then we also didn't really realize. And again, I'm so thankful for platforms like this, where we that are more becoming more educated, you know, that we're more knowledgeable in this stuff. We have the opportunity and the responsibility yeah. to share this with others because it is kind of common sense. And what I mean by that is, yes, there are sciencey stuff around it, which doesn't always feel like common sense, but when you break it down, it makes sense very plainly. And we have a responsibility to share this information. I realized that as a former teacher and an educator, what I needed to do was help people learn things. Well, when I learned this information that is literally life transforming and life saving, I had a responsibility to share with others. And then after all of the research I did around when my mom was diagnosed with her cancer shortly after her brother's, again, I, I turned to this book. I turned to the gut and psychology syndrome because it just so plainly laid it out and explained all of the things and it made perfect sense. It just Absolutely. made perfect sense. I've been hearing a lot about fasting. So there's intermittent fasting, there's, which can be mm -hmm. like you have your window eight to 10 hours a day where you're eating your food. It might be one day a week where mm -hmm. you are having water, perhaps. Right. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I actually, it was, it was a number of years ago that my medical doctor had actually recommended to do, mm -hmm. start with at least intermittent fasting because those that are over 50 mm -hmm. has really been shown to help with the hormones. Mm -hmm. So since then, I've been doing a lot yep. of research into intermittent fasting as well as like 24 to 72 hour fasting and how that helps heal your gut. So I'm curious, one, do you agree with fasting? And two, if so, mm -hmm. have you been able to implement that in any way, shape or form with children? Because I found that's extra hard because they're growing and there's, there's other issues involved yeah. with those under 18. Yeah. Right. That, those are great questions. So I have done fasting myself. I kind of naturally did it feeling better knowing that it was this was before it was even a term and before it was used as a either weight loss or management or anything you know method i just naturally preferred eating a little later in the morning and so i'd been doing it for for years anyways as far as the not eating except for drinking water i worked for a doctor a cardiologist i worked for him in downtown houston and he recommended for his patients or clients to do that occasionally to do a nice. gut health reset so he did find that it was a good thing to do occasionally as is honestly like a cleanse right like a similar idea get the system cleared out because again when you're not putting in the foods then you're not, your stomach has a chance to eliminate and that's all it's doing. So it does make sense that that, that would be beneficial. Now, as far as hormones are concerned, what I have learned is that everybody's body is different and responds differently. For some people, 
I've learned that they actually maintain their hormone balance level better if they eat small meals throughout the day. Let's say six meals, six times they're eating in a, in a window, but they space it out every okay. two to three hours. The opposite is kind of the other end, and that would be more of an intermittent fasting now, again, you are eating within a window, but you're eating less times. You can't possibly in that small window eat six times. And so it's kind of an alternative method for possibly the same result. But I'll tell you, I've seen more success with the fewer times, more, you know, fewer, smaller meals, fewer times. I've seen more success with that than actual intermittent fasting where you do the other. And that's for both weight and for metabolism and blood sugar levels, blood glucose, all that stuff. I have found that small meals throughout the day tend to go over better, specifically children. That's obvious because they need that. They burn it faster. Yeah. Their stomachs are smaller. They cannot right. handle what we can handle, right? So that makes sense. But yeah, I've done a lot of research on it and learned even myself doing both things. I would have more results with eating smaller amounts throughout the day, you know, every two to three hours. Thank you so much. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's very fascinating. And again, everybody's body is different. So and true. when we recognize that, and another thing I want to add on, and this is a little off topic, but not, the concept of body shaming mm -hmm. has become so hard to deal with on an emotional mm -hmm. level for people that we need to get better at giving ourselves grace and be loving and kind toward one another as far as what works for me might not work for you. And so if I was a good health coach, <laughs> I would recognize that my system that I'm selling or my you know plan or my food or whatever might not work for everyone and that that is okay and that I should empower and encourage them to go somewhere else and find success, not be here, you have to do this mm -hmm. and it's going to work and you know, you're going to lose yeah. 50 pounds. I mean, that's just a bunch of BS. Everybody's yeah. body is different. We all have unique thumbprints. God made us all uniquely yes. and wonderfully yes. made. And so it's the gut. The gut is like a fingerprint. It is specific and different and has to do with your environment, where you live, what you eat, how you were raised. Again, your, your mother's gut health. It's yeah. all related. It's incredible. Well, Paula, I love to ask all of my guests if they have a beautiful body tip to share. Yes. And I would say going with what I was just discussing, the idea of shaming. And I'm almost 50. Okay. And I grew up in the late seventies and eighties when body image was becoming with models and, you know, things like that was becoming more. Now today it's heightened and accelerated so much, but when I was growing up, thin was beautiful, period. It just was, right? We didn't have an over-excessive amount of many people that were obese in schools, mm -hmm. right? We didn't see that. And as time has gone on, we've seen more and more and more of it, obviously. That said, our education around that has not improved. It has not gotten better. And that is something that I believe we need to get better at, is learning about the emotions and the feelings and all of that, that that encompass it as well because it is we know that the gut and the brain are connected but the gut also affects our mood and our our emotions and all of that it's all related like that's all in the brain 
right? All of those things reside there. And so if we're not taking care of those two things, then surely we're not going to be well. But when we teach people and they understand the best way to be well is to eat healthy, to have moderate exercise, literally like walking, right? We don't need to be hours and hours at the gym. Getting enough sleep. For kids, it's 12 hours. For adults, seven to nine. That's a lot. A lot of adults don't get enough sleep. Many get six to seven or five to seven, and that's not really healthy. Your body does its most repair rejuvenation when you're sleeping. That's when it can do that because your body is at rest and it is able at that point. Yeah, there's a lot of those kinds of components that affect overall wellness. And when we take all of that into consideration, it can really either help us or harm us. Well, thank you so much. That's wonderful. And I agree with you. Oh, we, we definitely need to give ourselves some grace in our health journey yes. for sure. So Paula, I would love yes. if you could share with everyone how they can connect with you. Sure. So I am on Facebook and Instagram mostly. I do a lot of social media there. I also have a podcast and it's called uh, Phenomenal Living and it's on Apple and Spreaker and many. It's on all the places. I do have a book that is fashioned after that I wrote and released last May, and it is called Becoming a Phenomenal Mom, Five Steps to a Healthier Life. And um, in that book, I share my five kind of aha things that I learned on my parenting journey around health. And they are your educational health, your physical health, your emotional health, and those are the three that are related to gut health, right? And then your financial health, like parents need to know this information, and then spiritual health. And how when we actively work on those five things, it makes us stronger and healthier in our life for our families. So that's that. And it's on Amazon. My website is just my name, paulatobey.com. P-A-U-L-A-T-O-B-E-Y. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I will make sure to put links yes. for all of those things in the show notes so they can be easily accessed. So with that, awesome. Paula, thank you so much for joining me today for Wellness Wednesday. It has been such a joy and educational to meet with you today. It has been. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share with your audience. And I hope that somebody was able to take away something you know, valuable today. That's always my my hope is that I can inspire and educate because that is what I believe uh, my message, my download from God has been to do is to encourage and empower and uplift women to be healthier and live better lives for their families. So thank you again.
thank you for joining me today as we explore the powerful whispers of God. I hope you've been inspired, uplifted, and equipped with practical ways to experience His presence in your everyday life. A special thank you to those who have rated, shared, or commented on my podcast. Your input warms my heart. Remember, the journey doesn't end here. Stay connected with me on my website at kristajoyministries.com and be sure to sign up for my newsletter on my main webpage. Or connect with me on Facebook or Instagram at Powerful Whispers Podcast to continue the conversation and stay updated on upcoming episodes. Until next time, I'm Krista Joy signing off. May your journey be blessed with an abundance of God's whispers for you. And make sure to grab hold of the gentle nudges from God.